Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. UAB in Atlanta. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The First Voices Festival is a celebration of indigenous culture coming to Little Five Points on Saturday. Later this hour, we'll hear about the authentic powwow, music, and conversations that are part of the events. Plus, speaking of music, our series of local musicians in their own words, today features Atlanta pop musician Sienna Liggins. First, Thanksgiving. The culmination of the traditional harvest season brings to mind the produce we prepare and share and where it comes from. It's a subject close to the heart of Zach Harrison, the founder of Fresh Harvest, a Clarkston-based home delivery program connecting households to local produce, meat, dairy products, and artisanal goods from farmers close to their communities. Zach Harrison joins me now via Zoom. Welcome to City Lights. Lois, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be able to chat today. Well, I'm curious, what inspired you to start Fresh Harvest? Yeah, yeah, it's actually, um, it's cool that you mentioned Thanksgiving and like this this singular big meal that we have, because it was really one meal that did it for me. So I had a this transformative meal after a excursion on a motorcycle across the country. I landed on an organic farm in California and for the first time fully connected with oh the food that I pull out of the ground goes directly to my plate and that intimate process was just seen in a more visceral way than I ever had experienced it before. And so after I had that meal, I, you know, had this idea of, man, how do we bring this to more people back home where I'm from? And this is where I'm from. I'm from Georgia. And so the thought of connecting people in and around Georgia, my neighbors with food that's grown right around here was really the catalyst for what is now 
fresh harvest deliveries that are going to people's doorsteps all over the city. Zach, would you explain the impact and benefits of buying local produce? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the the first thing I think of when I think of the impact of it is just the the transparency with who is actually growing your food, like the real people behind the process. Um, it's easy to just see a carrot as this thing that shows up on your plate and you just, you that's all it is. I mean, obviously there's so much more behind that. There's the the growing practices, there's the caretaking of the land, there's all the people involved in creating this sustenance um, that we've been obviously as humans living off of for all of time, but just it's been manufactured now in so many different ways, we don't feel connected to it anymore. So the first and I think most impactful thing is for the eater, um, us, you and me, to really realize that that there are awesome people on the other side of it. There's also the the flavor of what you're eating and the the care, the nutrition um, that you're putting into your body is are some other things I think of when I think of impactful to self, the person eating the food. Um, but then also just the the power of the dollar uh, that gets spent on our food and where that then goes. I think it was Michael Pollan who said that you know we vote three times a day. You know, and I really, I do believe that. Like there's, I've, I've seen and talked to obviously the farmers that we work with over and over again every week. And then there's so much power behind, behind that in the practice, the recurring practice of what you eat. And then there's just the like ecological impact. Like the food is not traveling as far. You have all the different efficiencies and less harmful practices that then are, supported by eating food that's from right down the road. You know, the, uh, one thing we talk about a lot at Fresh Harvest is 80% of our, the goods that are in our baskets, the food that's in our baskets comes from an average of 70 miles away. So that's like a, a trip to Dahlonega, you know, um, as opposed to driving across the country in a big old truck. So that has its obvious impacts on just the environment as a whole. Oh, wow. I've heard of CSA boxes, CSA standing for community-supported agriculture, where you can subscribe for a weekly mixed box of whatever seasonal mm-hmm. produce is available from a local grower. Is the fresh harvest delivery format similar? It is, yeah, and I love that you said like those, the actual words that the acronym is for community supported agriculture, because that's what we want to be all about. We're just kind of a new school version of that. There's some technology behind it and some flexibility that that technology allows. So, um, but it's the same, the same idea. Um, We want to support our community by the food that we eat, but yes, it works really similarly. It's just the, the person receiving the box it's they know what they're going to get and they can customize what they get so it's more fitting to folks who don't only want to be surprised like a a christmas present every week which is a, a typical csa benefit you can have that you can never customize your order and go in and switch things around but uh, with our system you you can do that if you don't want the kale that's coming from 
in this week because you have extra left from last week or it's not your favorite thing, you can swap it out for more of the Parisian carrots or the Hakkari turnips or whatever it may be that's in season at that time. Um, but yes, it works the same as the traditional CSA model and that was really the inspiration for it. Many Americans now are aware of the desirability and benefits of locally sourced food, but it's often cost prohibitive. Farmers markets and grocers often sell local produce at a premium. What do you think stands in the way of making good, nutritious food affordable for the people in the communities nearest to the source? I think the first thing is just understanding the value of the food in the first place. So knowing that when, like, why would a bunch of carrots cost $1.50 versus $3, you know, depending on where it's coming from. And so much of that is in relation to scale and a lot of the, the growing practices that take place in order to get scale up to where it actually makes things that much cheaper, say the $1.50 carrot versus the $3 one from the farmer's market. A lot of those practices are ones that devalue either the planet or the end consumed good. I think there is a something I've had to learn and we all have to relearn, which is just the value of food in the first place and the importance of how it's grown and where it comes from. Uh, but then also, I think too, that a huge part of of that is making sure that we add as many of the conveniences as possible so that the costs are, you know, as approachable as possible for the people in need of that food. And so it's working with farmers who understand that and who are bought into having the most efficient practices they can. And then us as, for example, as Fresh Harvest, making sure we can get that to people for an affordable price. And so that's something we're always thinking about is um, how we can make sure that it is as affordable as possible. And that's one thing that we really pride ourselves on is we have really structured our program around the idea of like, we're not trying to be a luxury product that's just more expensive for the sake of being more expensive. We're trying to be able to compete with the approachability of products at the grocery stores around us. That's so important, particularly now with the cost of food, with the cost of just about everything. But thinking about families, people on fixed incomes, not splurging, but just having to consider basics. I mean, I am still shocked at the price of eggs. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I can afford it. But often those most in need of good nutrition are the last to be able to afford the best, the most nutritious food. So I think when you think about the the cost of food, I mean, we're thinking about that a lot these days, right? The cost of food eaten in homes across America is up by, I read the other day, something like 13% just across the board. The cost is a real issue. Um, and one thing that's important for me, for all of us to understand is like, okay, what is, what is the cost of 
growing and producing the food that I'm eating and the cost of organic growing methods it is it is more especially when it's smaller scale local sustainable farms we're working with so that that cost won't be able to compete with the heavily subsidized you know big ag of America as a whole that's very industrialized and that's just some of the facts of the matter however one of the things that we try to do at fresh harvest is keep those costs as low as possible by buying from a lot of buying as much volume as we can from a many small growers in one week in order to make it as efficient as possible for them because if it's as efficient as possible for the grower for example they're you know they may sell us instead of selling 100 bunches of carrots at the farmers market uh, and it takes them you know all day of setup to do that they may come and drop off with us in 20 minutes and sell a thousand bunches. And so obviously the, we're able to reduce the cost of everybody's time and fuel inputs and all that stuff. And so then we're able to pass that along to our customers and make it as affordable as possible, which of course is, is so important when you're thinking about the well-being of the community. When you think community supported agriculture, it's on both sides. It's the people eating it and the people growing it. The headquarters of Fresh Harvest are in Clarkston, Georgia, which the BBC famously called the most diverse square mile in America. And I read your workforce is made up of 75% refugees. Please tell us more about this diverse employee base. Yeah, yeah, no, that's one of the best things about working here, that's one of the best things um, that Fresh Harvest has become. And honestly, we we stumbled into this, this place that is Clarkston. When we started 10 years ago, so it's our 10th anniversary this year, we were just trying to find some, some space to work in some free warehouse in Lawrenceville, you know, just to see if this idea would work. But then we moved down to Clarkston in 2014. And I actually have lived in Clarkston for a long time. And so, you know, when we were first here, there weren't many people who worked at Fresh Harvest. We were much smaller. But then as we've been able to grow our business, we've been able to hire our our friends from all over the world. And that diversity of obviously people with different food experience from all over the world, people with different work experience from all over the world is such a huge asset for us. And so it really did all start from hiring some people uh, that were my friends in the apartment complex we lived in. And we've just seen that grow. They talked to their friends as we needed more positions. And that's really become a key value for us. One thing we always talk about it, you know, some of our bigger planning meetings is like, man, are we achieving our values? And one of our main values is the idea of sharing a table. And the more diverse, the more resilient, I believe, Um, then that's in both like vegetables and in people and in businesses. And so we have seen that play out. And it's such a such a fun place to work because of that. It's really an honor to have a business that even exists in Clarkston to be able to do that and be close enough by to people to where they can come work here with us. From which countries have these employees sought refuge? Yeah, yeah. So um, a large part of our staff currently, they're Karen, so they're from Burma. So several of them lived in 
refugee camps in Thailand for many years, and they have come over here and now are citizens. We have folks on our team from Afghanistan, from Congo, where else? Uh, really so many different places. And over the years, it's, it's changed because a lot, because that's, you know, people obviously come and go with, with work. And that's something that's really interesting about Clarkson is because it's a refugee resettlement city, you have new people coming in from different parts of the world at different times and different years based on the hardships and struggles and oppression that's going on in the world at that time. Clarkson is kind of a, a, a mirror to that. You get to really see that and meet people who have been through a lot of different things and are just so resilient and motivated and beautiful people. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of changed over time um, where different folks are from that work here. Hmm. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes speaking with the founder of Fresh Harvest, Zach Harrison. You mentioned initially inviting some people who were neighbors, who were friends of yours, to work. Right. How did you establish Fresh Harvest as this solid job opportunity for so many refugees? Well, I think it started with just having a product that people continued to want over and over again. So our our model, just to lay it out there for folks that don't know, is it's a subscription model. Um, and it has a lot of beautiful reasons for that existing. Um, and I think when you subscribe to your food, one thing that you're you're doing is you're, you know, creating some sort of expectation. And so we were able to just as we signed customers up for the service, they enjoyed it. They told their friends, which was so awesome to me. Um, and so we were able to grow slowly over the years. And because it's a subscription service, like I was saying, you know, we aren't, you aren't having to resell every single week to get new business. So we were able to be predictable in a sense and be able to forecast our growth in ways that were um, really advantageous to us and advantageous to the farmers we worked with. That's one thing we try to try to be for growers. There's so much unpredictability in, in growing food. And so to be able to be a source for that budget-wise, team planning-wise, all that kind of stuff is something we try to be. I think the, the model that we have is what really led to that growth at the beginning. And, you know, we just had great product in our baskets because great product was being grown by the farmers that we work with and people could just tell the difference. And so when you get a bunch of you know, say Swiss shard from the grocery store looks a little more tired and wilted than the bunch that's coming from Crystal Organic Farm a few miles down the road that's then been delivered straight to your house. And so I think the the produce spoke for itself. And because of that, we were able to build a solid customer base. And then we needed more help to pack more orders. We pack our orders every day. Um, they get delivered straight to people's homes. So we do the same thing over and over again. And so we were able to practice a lot. Mm. You mentioned the 10th anniversary of Fresh Harvest. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I imagine the company has evolved substantially over the decade. When you reflect 
um, how far you've come, Zach. What stories especially stand out as milestones? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually just thought about that a good bit recently because we had our 10th anniversary sort of celebration dinner where we invited customers and farmers and artisans and our team and we all got together and had some drinks and some food. And um, so I was thinking back on that and the coolest thing to me can be summed up in a, in a number and it, but then there's the specific personal stories of course that come out of that. But the, the first thing that stuck out to me is we were adding up how much we Fresh Harvest have spent on local food since we started. And it was over $15 million. It was like $15,464,000. And that's just a testament to, and it was such an honor to be able to, to say that with everybody in one room, right? You have customers that are the reason that that happened. You have farmers that are the reason that that happened too. They're the ones who grew it. And then you have the folks on our team who you know, delivered it. All of our deliveries come in our own refrigerated trucks. And so, you know, the hundreds of thousands of bins that were delivered to people's houses, like that's something that was essential, obviously, to that, to that number being created. So that was something we're really proud of. And we are excited about the next 10 years. I'm going to try to do a lot more than that, of course. But there's one story that I think of um, that really stands out to me. And it's a story of when I talked to Celia, who is the farm manager and just at Woodland Gardens in Athens and just a pro and somebody I've looked up to for a long time. In the middle of the pandemic, obviously everything changed for everybody, of course, but if, especially for us, there was a lot more demand. And one of the coolest things I've ever been able to do is receive a phone call from Celia. They deliver to a lot of restaurants. Um, Woodland Gardens does. They're pros. They're known all over the city, of course. You've probably eaten their food a bunch of times. She called and she said, hey, all the restaurants are shut down. I don't have, I don't have a place to deliver this stuff that I've grown for literally this next week that's coming up. And because there was such a demand for home delivery of our stuff, um, we were able to literally buy it all. And so in one moment, it goes from a huge issue and huge potential loss of restaurants being shut down. Of course, all the hardships there were ongoing and big, but we were able to then for weeks on end buy her stuff from Woodland Gardens and from a lot of other farmers as our demand increased. And again, that's all just a testament to the loyalty of our customers. Hmm. How does Fresh Harvest handle challenges like food waste or and providing environmentally sustainable packaging. Yeah, yeah, no, those are those are big ones, and those in the system as a whole, in the food system as a whole, those are those are huge ones, especially with home delivery. So the the first one about food waste, we actually don't have any food waste at all what? because of our business model. Yeah, so we because we know what our customers have ordered ahead of time, we order exactly what we need from our growers because our our customers orders are built in response to every week what availability lists which are literally it's just a fancy way to say texts from farmer friends <laughs> what they say they have coming the next week and then we're able to once we close off what we call the customization window then we buy exactly what we need and that's what we receive in our warehouse that's then going to be held in the cooler for a day or two until it 
shows up at somebody's house. And that system happens over and over again every week. So we aren't holding anything over or wondering how we're going to sell it because we only buy what we've already sold, which is, I think, just a huge advantage over environmentally, of course, over uh, the traditional grocery model. And then any food, say, that doesn't make past the quality standards cut, you know, there's there's some stuff that comes in with the bruise on it or broken leaves or whatever, that all either gets composted at our garden or our employees get the, the scratch and dent free baskets at the end of the week. And all that is gone every week. So yeah, it's a really beautiful system. Hmm. It tell us about the weekly share of the harvest markets hosted by Fresh Harvest and its associated programs. I read about after-school programs and internships. Right, right, yeah. So I may have said this already in our chat here today, but I know I've said it a lot of times when answering other questions. For, for, I just feel like we, I've stumbled into so many things. Like anything great that Fresh Harvest has been about or that it's happened is, is so much of it is just stumbling into the next thing that sounds like a need needs to be met. And so um, Share the Harvest is is that. Like we, it's had many different versions over the years, but we have we now, what it's kind of boiled down to at this point is we set up markets at apartment complexes in Clarkston every single week. And the cost of the food that we sell at those markets is highly subsidized. So it's way below even our cost of the food. It's, it's made up of the same stuff that's coming in our customers' baskets every week. So it's the same local stuff. And we actually have our own garden here in Clarkston that grows a lot of ethnically appropriate foods just for that purpose. And so, again, it's this idea of the people in and around us have needs that we can meet. I, I can't remember exactly when I heard this quote, but just thought it was great. It says, I remember hearing it years ago, uh, our excess is someone else's necessity. And that's the whole idea of where share the harvest came from is because like, man, we have this great food coming in all the time. What else could we do with it? And so um, our customers support that through donations. Fresh Harvest as a company supports that through our budget each year. Um, and we're able to, again, pr provide markets every week where people can come get highly discounted, healthy, organically grown food. Uh, and then as you were talking about the after-school programs, the horticultural therapy program that we have at our garden in partnership with the high school in Clarkston, um, these are just some other awesome things that we've been able to connect with folks in our community about just because we have had the time and resources to do so. And everybody loves food. And a lot of folks like getting their hands dirty and working at the garden too. And so, man, how can we have more people out there? And so we've been able to connect with different folks in the community to sync up on other needs as well. Great. We're about to celebrate the ultimate harvest holiday, Thanksgiving. Thinking about your mention of Swiss chard and the fresh kale. Zach, do you have any favorite recipes using local seasonal produce you'd like to recommend? Oh man, that's a great question. A disclaimer up front is I'm more of a throw it together guy than a recipe guy. 
them. Well, I <laughs> but, think a lot of people would welcome that. Yeah, yeah. So like when I think about Thanksgiving and a, you know, oh man, how do we get some greens on the table? I, I love some boiled greens as much as the next person, but having a, a fresh salad, I think gets missed sometimes. So um, whether you've got your, we have Belfiore Radicchio coming in right now that we, man, when you mix that with some local romaine um, and just do a olive oil and vinegar type simple dressing, or you pickle some, just a quick pickle of some radishes. We've got awesome watermelon radishes coming in right now. You can make a, a killer salad just doing that. And we actually still have kind of the tail end of some of the sun cherry tomatoes and things like that to put on there. My wife makes this awesome stuffing. She likes to make bread. And so we're always making this stuffing that then we use a lot of the fresh harvest herbs in. That's, I think, one thing that I would say to anybody, like upgrade the, the herb game by just going fresh and not always pouring it out of the jar that's been sitting in the cupboard for three years. Um, that helps or a lot. eight. Yeah. Or nine. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I... I'm one like I always like having a cranberry sauce, but if you can introduce some local ingredients into your cranberry sauce, we're getting ginger right now from Rogers Greens and Roots. So we're getting some different uh, citrus, you know, coming in from Florida. Like there's, there's some great things you can throw in there. We actually had a guy on our team who just made a persimmon and cinnamon simple syrup that he's going to use for his cocktails over the holidays so you know there's you can get super creative with that stuff and again I think the the possibilities are endless but if you're using great ingredients it's just going to be it's going to be that much better you know the taste the flavor the experience the story behind it is so much better I sure have enjoyed your story Zach Harrison and you are very modest about saying you've stumbled into things. <laughs> no doubt the success of Fresh Harvest and the great things you do for the community were harvested inside your head. Yeah, I think over the years we've had some ideas that we got lucky and you just have a little bit of a revelation on and other ones that, man, they sit at the, our conference table isn't very fancy, but they sit at the conference table kind of bouncing between heads and you know it's not till months later that we figure out how to actually make it work. I mean, I think the probably the key to, you know, any of the success that we've had is we have an awesome team of people who just keep caring over and over and over again. And I think that's maybe the best business advice you can give is just keep caring as much I mean you when you start out doing something, you have all this passion and this this huge mission and everything you want to accomplish. And so if you can just keep persevering and keep caring and have a great team of folks around you that does the same, it does take a long time to make something great um, and we're still working on it. But I, I think that's, that's the secret is you just keep coming back to the table and saying, okay, we care enough to make this better for our team, for our partner farms, for our customers. For Georgia as a whole, you know, that's that's where we are, where we're from, um, and what we work for every day. And so that's, I think, something we've gotten, gotten good at over time. Zach Harrison, founder of Fresh Harvest, an Atlanta-based home delivery company for locally sourced food. More information 
is on wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment, we'll hear about the First Voices Festival coming to Little Five Points this Saturday. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. A traditional Native American powwow is coming to Atlanta in a celebration of indigenous culture. The First Voices Festival takes place on November 19th in Little Five Points and includes an outdoor powwow a discussion on the art of activism, and a performance by singer-songwriter Shelley Morningsong and dancer Fabian Fontenelle. Joining me now via Zoom are co-curator Carmen Halangahu, co-owner of Turtle Island Trading in Atlanta, Buffalo Yellowbird Festival curator and MC of the powwow, and singer-songwriter Shelley Morningsong. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Please tell us the history of the powwow and the elements involved. The history of the powwow began over 200 years ago with the Omahas. Powwow is different uh, categories of dance. Some of them are very, very old. Some have evolved over time. So dancing, singing, and during the powwow, a lot of times we have memorials. We have veterans, remembrance, and honor, honor songs. And it's a very spiritual experience. And it's a very, very old ceremony. The powwow is a celebration of life, you know, because we use it like uh, times of victory at battle, uh, wedding ceremony, just like anybody else in any other society, there was reasons to celebrate, you know, we all did it. So it's like, it's more historical than just saying, yeah, we just come out just to power to have fun, but there was reasons why. Which tribes are represented in Georgia? There's Creek, the, the land that Atlanta sits on, Muscogee Creek, the Creek Nation. I think up more than north, you got some Cherokee. And there might have been in history, there might have been some other tribe like the a Seminole or something like that. I don't know. I'm not too familiar with the southeastern tribes as uh, I'm Lakota and I don't speak much for the history of other tribes. Well, can any of you tell me 
which tribes will participate in this power ceremony? Yes, of course, uh, Shelly Morningsong, you know, she, she says she was Northern Cheyenne and Zuni. Yeah, I'm half Northern Cheyenne. And then, uh, of course, there's myself, Lakota. Some of my drum members are from Southern Cheyenne. Got some Navajo or Diné people, Cherokees. There's probably some Choctaws. So a lot of these Southeastern tribes on here will probably show up to represent where they come from. Atlanta's got a lot more indigenous people there, tribal members there, that the minute we announced this, they actually started reaching out to us. Fantastic. Buffalo, what does your role as MC of the powwow entail? Well, I'm the one that's going to be running my mouth, telling <laughs> stories, introducing the dances. I will do a history. And a lot of what we're doing, the reason why we're doing this is because we want to bring our cultural identity to Atlanta. We want to let you all know we are still here. A lot of people, they think that we're just fairy tales at this point. And it's really common that people think that, especially in the Southeast. So I'm going to be telling stories, telling stories of the dances, telling uh, people, you know, along the lines of where we come from and why we do what we do. Mm. Shelly Morning Song, I read that you are a seven-time Native American Music Award winner, including Artist of the Year in 2019. What led you to your career as a songwriter and flutist? So I used to, so many years ago in my younger days, I used to sing and write music for my church and I was raising my children. And then when I was 40 years old, a really amazing thing happened to me. I met my father for the first time and I didn't even know all those years growing up that I was part Cheyenne. I met my dad. I found him. He left before I was born. And I met him when I was 40 years old, and it really, it just really changed my life. And I went on to um, audition for Music from a Painted Cave with Robert Mirabal from Taos Pueblo, and I got the part, and that was 22 years ago, and I met Fabian. That's how I met Fabian. He was uh, one of the principal dancers in Music from a Painted Cave. Fabian and I, of course, we started to date and so forth. And we went on to do our own show. And we actually started out as street performers so many years ago, <laughs> street performers. And I started writing music and uh, Silver Wave Records approached me. So I presented a three song demo to them and then they signed me. It just kind of everything has evolved, you know, over the years. So, Yeah. You've written about your goals as a songwriter. Would you share them with us? I love to write songs that show us all the commonalities we have and uh, songs that bring peace and, and love to our world. It's really important to me. Me with no words. 
And how do you integrate the sounds of Native music in your song? Yeah, well, I love to play Native flute. That's one of the instruments that I play. I've been playing Native flute for about 18 years, and I use sometimes traditional rhythms like uh, double beat crow hops and so forth so that Fabian can come out and dance while I sing. And so I write contemporary style Native music with kind of older rhythms, dance rhythms, so that Fabian can dance while I sing. Fabian Fontenelle, your husband, an award-winning dancer who will be performing with you at the festival. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so proud of him, yes. Carmen Halangahu, our listeners in Atlanta may know you from Turtle Island Trading, which is an indigenous-owned store located in Little Five Points, selling Native American made jewelry, arts, and crafts, in addition to being a commercial business. How does Turtle Island Trading serve to educate patrons about Native American art? Well, we are a commercial business in that capitalistic sense. <laughs> Much of what we do is educate people about the art that we're selling. We are carry the largest selection of Hopi-made silver jewelry, and I spend a lot of time explaining to people just how the artists make it. We carry educational materials about the Hopi people and how they came to do silver work, and the same with the other Native artisans whose items we sell. We carry wampum, so we talk about wampum and the importance of that shell to the north, Northeastern people. And uh, just on and on, like we do a lot of education every day. There are a lot of people tribally enrolled around the United States who live in Atlanta and they do come in and out of our store. And we do whatever we can to support the folks in offering to carry their products if they so wish and, you know, act as a resource and just teaming up with Seven Stages and the Little Five Business Association to make this event happen is another example of just how we now that we are Indigenous-owned, how we're trying to raise the level of Indigenous peoples, the First Nation peoples, the original peoples, into the greater consciousness of folks in Atlanta. Seven Stages Theater has resided on the Muscogee Creek land for over 40 years. And there will be a Muscogee Creek elder and fine flute maker, William Harjo, at the festival. What are the concerns of the Muscogee Creek and significance of including an elder in this ceremony? So we invited uh, William Harjo to come and speak about the Muscogee land, the original inhabitants of, this, uh, of the Atlanta area. And, you know, aside from being a good flute player, he's a good storyteller. And, you know, he can, he's, he's going to share a lot about his history and give people awareness about the area itself. And 
believe that's the reason why we really wanted him there was because he is educated in that and all that. I would like to add that Seven Stages Theater has had a long-standing position around recognizing that the theater is located on Muskogee land, as is our store. And they've had a long-standing policy of donating a portion of their ticket proceeds to land back type initiatives. And so that also played a major role in wanting us wanting to have a Muskogee person involved so that they could be represented and speak for the Muskogee people and their experience as Muskogee so that no one else is trying to speak those words. Oh, that is admirable. How can non-Native people respectfully participate in a powwow? So there are segments after our grand entry where we invite all the dancers come out and dance, and we also invite the public by using the term intertribal which means everybody can come out and dance. We, there are some social dances and round dances sometimes that we have that, that they can come out with too. So there are ways that they can come out and interact with us and dance alongside us. And it's all part of that whole learning process. We are very open, but keep everything respectful. You know, uh, there is a lot of etiquette that we require and that we will be speaking on that uh, when the time comes. But yeah, overall, the intertribal is, is a big interaction that I guess get mingling with the people. The indigenous people is the term we're using, indigenous people. Powwow MC Buffalo Yellowbird, singer-songwriter Shelley Morning's song, and Carmen Halangahu, co-curator at Turtle Island Trading. The first Voices Festival takes place on November 19th in Little Five Points, and more information can be found on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, our series highlighting local musicians. Speaking of music, today, features Sienna Liggins. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for joining me. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from Atlanta musicians in their own words. My name is Sienna Liggins, and I make songs that make people want to dance about girls that I've fallen in and out of love with. got my start in music when I was in middle school. My family was not super artistic, but I was always very drawn to writing. And once I kind of discovered a knack for writing songs and singing, I just couldn't stop. Rape of your mind, ready and not. 
Atlanta influences everyone's music, in my opinion. I am a firm believer that a lot of American culture, especially, is rooted in Black culture and queer culture, and Black and queer culture meets in the epicenter of Atlanta. I choose to call this place home because it has just been a place that's embraced me and accepted me, and the people here and the culture here is just unmatched, and I love Atlanta. I find that I'm usually inspired by the relationships and situationships that I end up in. I really write a lot to navigate my feelings of love and loneliness and excitement about a new person. And it just motivates me to know that those songs resonate with other people who have similar emotions or are going through similar things in their lives. So I've sent you two of my songs from my album is out tonight, the title track and the opening track. I think that those two songs just really wrap up like what the experience is supposed to be. It's, you know, uninhibited, infectious pop records. It's also really encompasses the experiences I've had being a queer musician navigating like a huge world and industry and yeah just going through like love and life on my own Thanks so much for having me. My name is Sienna Liggins. You can follow me everywhere at Sienna Liggins. That's spelled S-I-E-N-A-L-I-G-G-I-N-S. Peace. Atlanta pop musician Sienna Liggins and our series Speaking of Music. More information about Liggins is on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., Atlanta singer-songwriter Anita Isola joins us ahead of her Saturday performance with Ruby Vell and the Soulphonics. If you missed part of today's show, like 
my earlier conversation with Zach Harrison, founder of Fresh Harvest. You could catch up through our podcast or on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There, you'll find a complete archive of our stories so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Droves. Our producers are Summer Evans and Janine Etter, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. Do connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at LOIS. R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to W-A-B-E at last. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.